The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. I hope we've had a little bit of something every one of you will like. If you have a daughter or son that's been in our children's choir program, or a grandson or granddaughter, would you stand and let's say to you, thank you for making this all possible. They could not have done it with all the rehearsing, but they did, and you saw the leaders down here, and we Thank the Lord for the gift of children. Every year at this time of this year, Southern Baptist churches all over the nation join together in an emphasis upon what we want to talk about this morning in these closing moments, and that is the challenge, the need, the opportunity of world missions. I want you to look with me at just a brief passage in the Bible that you're probably not too familiar with, four verses in Mark chapter 8. So look in your Bible, if you will, beginning in verse 22. It's a unique passage, the only one of its kind. I'll explain that in a moment. But look, if you will, to what Mark says. Verse 22, Mark 8. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, meaning apparently he made a little mud patty, and put it on his eyes, he put his hands on him, and Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. These four verses contain the biblical account of the only miracle in the Bible that is performed in two stages. Most of the time, Jesus acts and the miracle is done. But in this instance, he does it in the first stage and the man says, I see people, but they look like trees. I've seen some people's hair look like trees, but I've never seen a person look like a tree. He said, they look like trees. And then he touched him, what? A second time. And he saw everything clearly. I want to suggest to you this morning that oftentimes I need that second touch so that I can see the world as God does. Some of you have had to have your own physical eyes corrected. You you started out in life, you didn't wear glasses, you didn't wear contacts, and you came to the point that you had to have Corrective eyewear. Just since I've been here with you in a few months, I've seen some of you, the hymnals have gotten farther and farther away. 
And I understand, I've been there, I've done that. Now, oftentimes we either wear glasses or contacts or we have surgery and it corrects our eyesight. What I wanna to talk to you about this morning is seeing the world, correcting our eye vision so that we can see the world as God does. A sermon that's easy to remember, but very important. So much so, I put it in your hand. Two things. What do we see and what can we do? If we see the world as God does, what are we going to see? First of all, you're going to see an enlarging world. Right now, while we're sitting here in Pelham, Alabama, the population of the world, we're told, is 7.2 billion people all over the world. Now, we can't comprehend that. Let me put it to you this way. Half the people who've ever lived and since the beginning of mankind, half the people who've ever lived are living in your lifetime and mine. That's how large the world is. That's how astounding it is. That's the challenge we have as far as world missions is concerned. Half the people who've ever lived are living now. It's not only an enlarging world, it's a diverse world religiously. I mean, if you took all the, as God looks down and sees this mass of people, religiously, here's what God sees. Approximately a third, 33%, are professed Christians. I'm not judging whether they are or not. They at least would say to you, they believe in God and they consider themselves Christians. Another 42% make up the three large non-Christian religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam, the Muslims. The largest group being the Muslims, 22%. And the remaining 25% religiously make up all the others. Now again, what we're doing, as God looks at the world religiously, that's what he sees. But not only that, he sees an enlarging world, a diverse world, an illiterate world. Sometimes I hear people talking about, well, the greatest need we have is get the Bible out so people can read the Bible in their own language. And we have people today who spend their lifetime translating the Bible into the dialects and languages all over the world. And that's wonderful. But the tragedy is two out of every three people who live on planet Earth today are illiterate. They can't read or write. If we got the Bible to them, if all they had was a printed book, they couldn't read it. So it's not going to be sufficient. 20% of the adults in the United States of America can neither read nor write. So it is an illiterate world. God sees that every day as he looks at the world. Beyond that, he sees a hungry world. I'm talking about real hunger. Most of us in this room have never known what it was to be hungry. Say, preacher, you've got about 15 more minutes before I'm going to tell you how hungry I am. And I know what you mean, but you don't really know what it is to be hungry. Every single day, not month, week, day, somewhere in the world, 30,000 people die of starvation or disease-infected water, most of whom are little children like these we saw up here under six years of age. 30,000 a day die hungry. God sees that every single day that he looks at the world. 
He sees an enlarging world, a diverse world religiously, a literate world, a hungry world, but more importantly to us for our purposes, he sees a lost world. I'm talking about spiritually lost. Missiologists, that is people who study world missions, give us these numbers. They divide the world up into world A, B, and C. I'm going to take it in reverse order. World C, missiologists tell us, compose approximately a third, 30% of the world are Christians or call themselves Christians. Another 40% have at least had an opportunity to hear the gospel. That is somewhere, some way, they've been exposed to the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. So 30% are Christians. 40% at least have heard Jesus and the gospel. Now what I want you to leave here remembering is 30% of the world have never heard the name Jesus. Never. Almost one out of three in the world today has never heard the name Jesus. Those same missiologists tell us that every day 170,000 people across the world die. Most of them without the gospel. In language you would remember about a city the size of a million people die every day somewhere in the world and most of them have never heard the gospel. That's the world as God sees. Now if I stop there, it'd be rather foreboding. An enlarging world, a diverse world, a literate world, a hungry world, a lost world. But I want to say to you positively here, it's a reachable world. People in the world can be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully. We're going to be talking about giving to our world missionaries. How good a job are they doing, Brother Charles? Here it is. Every year, last year, 4,800 plus, 4,816 to be exact, of our Southern Baptist missionaries baptized 115,000 people somewhere in the world. Now, and they also established 6,200 new churches just in a year's time. Now to break that down where you can understand it, basically that means that every single day, 300 new Christians were baptized like we saw Jonathan baptize this sweet one a while ago. Every single day, 300 times that. Every Sunday, if they waited to Sunday to baptize them all, over 2,200 new Christians have been baptized just under the influence of Southern Baptist missionaries alone. I'm grateful for that, aren't you? We thank God. What, how good are our missionaries doing? There's the answer, and beyond that, Every single day, approximately 120 new church, every single week, 120 new churches are established. Every week, just by Southern Baptists alone. This is a reachable world. Now, don't hear me say, everybody out there is just waiting to hear the gospel. No, they're not. But I want to say to you, dear friend, don't let the devil blind your eyes and mine to say, well, there's just no need to send missionaries anymore. No need to do this. It doesn't do any good. It does do some good. Our missionaries are doing good. But I saw it firsthand a few years ago, when, uh, just six months after the former Soviet Union got their religious freedom. Our international mission board asked me to go to what we call Russia and preach in seven different cities 
most of the people had never, ever heard the gospel. They had lived under communist dictatorship ever since 1917. I want you to watch this video and you will see how responsive they were. A little church, the Central Baptist Church in Mariupol, had only 200 members. Now listen carefully. They rented a soccer stadium that would seat 4,000. That would be like your church renting Legion Field for revival. It'd be preposterous. People thought they were crazy. Three nights I preached there. Every seat was filled as I gave the invitation. One night I preached on Isaiah 118. Come now, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. As I gave the invitation, I want you to see with your own eyes what happened. This is the invitation time. Watch on your left in a moment, a ball on the bicycle will show up. That night, as the gospel was proclaimed, a little 40-voice choir sang, and that night what you're seeing, out of 4,000 people gathered there, over 1,400 trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. Now please don't hear me say it was my preaching. I'd preached that sermon many places and nothing like that had ever happened. The Spirit of God took the Word of God and a little church with faith in God and brought salvation behind what we used to call the Iron Curtain. Now I show you that to say God is still alive and well on planet Earth. There are many things to the negative, but it is a reachable world. And what you saw here can happen in many places in the world. If we can get missionaries there and we can get compassion there, the gospel of Jesus Christ is still able to save to the uttermost everybody who believes in him. It is a reachable world. Now quickly in closing, that's what the world is. That's what we see. What can we do? I want to give you three quick suggestions as what we can do in light of the world that, we, that God sees. Number one, we can be prayerful. Our missionaries would say to us, you heard Dr. Sam James say this just two weeks ago today right here in this church, pray for us. James 5.16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. You can pray. God will hear your prayer. Boys and girls, you can pray. Mothers and dads, senior adults, pray for our missionaries. They're dependent upon that. But then secondly and practically, you can be generous. I want to talk to you right out of my heart and tell you what you can do. Right now today, Southern Baptists are grateful for our International Mission Board. This year, 2014, the budget of the International Mission Board, held and supported by Southern Baptists, is approximately $300 million. 
I know we don't think in those terms, so let me break it down. 52% of that money, 50, of the $300 million, comes through the offering that you and I will give during this Christmas season. I hope that you received a note this week from me in an envelope like this. If you did, hold up your hand. If you didn't, fuss at your postman. They were mailed. Now, they were sent to you in order that you might have it. That envelope and the gifts that we make through it supports over 50% of what our International Mission Board is able to do as far as supporting our world missionaries. Another 30% comes from the cooperative program that your church generously supports and I hope always will. We join together with churches all over Alabama in giving to the cooperative program and 30% of that budget is met through that. 18% comes from interest income and other sources and altogether we have $300 million. I couldn't do it by myself. You couldn't do it by yourself, but we can do together what none of us could do apart. That's where the money comes from. Here's what I want you to remember. Mark it down. I'll put it there in your writing so you could see it. 100% of every dollar you give through this envelope we call the Lottie Moon Christmas Every penny of it goes directly to the support of our 4,816 missionaries. Not a dime is kept at home. Nothing is held for other things. Sometimes you see philanthropic groups taking up money. Well and good. But oftentimes 50, 60, 70, 80 percent is kept for what they call administrative costs. Listen, none of that is true with our Lottie Moon offering. We already have the structure. We already have the missionaries. We already have the way to get the money there. When we give it instantly, every dollar you give, every dollar goes directly to help them. So when you make your gift this season, know you're writing a check as if it were to those missionaries. We're just going through the channel of the SBC. 100% goes there. And before I had any chance to be your interim pastor, your church leadership had already set a goal for our church, and I'm glad they had, of $52,000 for our goal for world missions this Christmas season. $52,000, the goal for First Baptist Church of Pelham. Now, our goal of $52,000, a part of the way that was arrived at, that amount of dollars that we give will support one missionary that we have on the field already there for one year. 365 days, our church can hold the financial lifelines for one missionary for an entire year. I'm grateful that you've set that goal. I believe we can reach that goal. Now, where I want, most of you don't think in terms of $300 million or 52,000. Let me break it down where you do think about it. Right now, we're averaging in Sunday school, I checked the records this week, we're averaging 766. It's 900 on the screen, but it's a little less than that when I got down and checked it. <coughs> we're averaging 766 in Sunday school. If you took the average Sunday school attendance and divided it into 52,000, each of us need to give personally approximately $68 to the cause of world missions. 
That's not very much, dear friend. That's a per person now. If you're married, then it costs a little more. $136 for a couple. If you've got one child, you've got to move on up to $202. If you've got two children, move on up to $272. But to quit having those kids, it gets expensive. <laughs> I'm kidding you, but I'm here to say, when we together give per person through our Sunday, in our Sunday school, using that as a base, and I use that because most of the people that don't come don't give, doesn't always hold that way, but we have the opportunity of saying to our world missionaries, we love and we care. I realize that in many churches, yours may have been this way every once in a while, somebody waits till the end of the year and sees how much we need and then they make a big gift. If you can do that, wonderful, but we're not dependent on that in this church. I remember reading when the Euclid Avenue Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio closed its doors over a half century ago, 1953. It's the church John D. Rockefeller belonged to. The church died. And at the last service, someone perceptively said, listen, this church died from too much help from too few people. This church died from too much help from too few people. Your church is not expecting wealthy people to chip in and make the goal. We're going to all do it together. Amen. That's the way we've always done it. And that's what I appeal to you today to recognize. Your gift is important. You can give it any time this month. But I hope when we come to the Christmas Eve service on December the 24th, I can stand here and hold up this envelope and say, friends, we have gone well over the $52,000 goal. Amen. Thank you. You hold the key by what you and I give. Now here's what I want to challenge you to do. Listen carefully. Why don't you consider this Christmas making your largest Christmas gift to anyone, anywhere, your birthday gift to Jesus through the Light of Moon Christmas offering. You think about it. I don't, I'm not here to play God for you to tell you what to do, but as you make your Christmas lift and decide your Christmas budget, some of you have already done this, why not make your largest Christmas gift to anyone our birthday gift to Jesus? I'm not asking you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. In this envelope, I've already put my check, and it's the largest gift by far Janice and I will give to anyone this Christmas season, our birthday gift to Jesus. Not that you can be arrogant about it. We ought to give more, but at least we can say in our priorities, He comes number one. I pointed out the boy on the bicycle a while ago. When he came down the aisle there in that soccer stadium, I saw him out of the corner of my eye and I wondered, why in the world is he coming with a bicycle? And I thought, well, he was afraid if he left it up in the stand, somebody would steal it. I asked the counselor through a translator, ask him why, and here's what he said. The minister said, when you come to Jesus, you have to give him everything you have. My bicycle is all I've got. And he came down the aisle, fully expecting to leave his bicycle. His counsel explained to him, well, what I meant was that you give your whole heart and life to Jesus Christ. 
and he was able to go off and keep his bicycle, but have salvation in his heart. Now what I'm saying to you, would we walk the aisle somewhere and made Jesus Christ Lord of our lives? We said he's number one. Don't forget that as you make your gift this Christmas season. What can we do? We can be prayerful. We can be generous. But number three, we can be open. And I mean by that, open to God's will. To be intellectually honest, every Christian young person has least got to confront the possibility, has God called me to be a missionary? I'm not saying he has, young people, but let me speak to you from my heart. God has a will and a purpose for every one of us. Every one of these 4,800 missionaries were called by God somewhere. Most of them became Christians before they were 10 years of age. Later they were called to be a missionary. Is it possible? Possible? that God is saying to you, I'd like for you to think about it. Could you be used all your talents and skills to be a missionary? Southern Baptist will provide your livelihood. You've got to provide the person to go. Young people have to confront that possibility. Has God called me to go? But not just young people. Single adults, married adults, and can I go a bit farther? Retired adults. It's possible God could use you on the mission field. A few years ago, I went and spent two weeks in Africa, stayed in Ogmomashaw, where we have a Baptist seminary there. By far, no, not even close, the most popular missionary in that missionary compound was not a preacher, was not a medical doctor, there were two of those, was not a musician, was not an evangelist, was not a school teacher. The most popular missionary there was a retired school principal from Pontotoc, Mississippi. How many of you know where Pontotoc is? Some of you don't even know how to spell it. <laughs> Pontotoc, Mississippi, a little bit of town over in Mississippi. This man and his wife had retired. She was a teacher, he was a principal. And they heard a challenge, kind of like I'm giving you. And they said, maybe we could do this. They volunteered, they were sent to Ogmomashaw. You say, well, why was he so popular? I'll tell you why. Thousands of miles away from home, thousands of miles away from repair shops, he was a Mr. Fix-It. He could fix anything. Their sewing machine would break down. He knew how to fix it. Their washing machine would go out. He knew how to fix it. Their automobile would break down. He knew how to get them running again. And every one of them loved him because anything that broke down, he could fix it. Now, what am I saying? He was a retired school principal, already lived his life, made his income, and yet in retirement, he became valuable in the hands of God, and God used him in a marvelous way. Can, will you be willing to be open, just open to the possibility? Is it conceivable God could use me, could use us on the mission field? I'm not playing God.